Weekend Show with Ken Kidney. Good morning, good evening, good night, and welcome to the Weekend Show. My name is Ken Kidney, and I am joined by my distinguished co-host, Garrett. Say hi, Garrett. Howdy. We have an excellent show lined up this week. We unearthed some of the stranger stories from the week with the Weekend Words. In our spotlight, we preview the summer's big movie releases. And in our interview, we speak to Cork actress Irene Kelleher. There's just enough time to update some of last week's talking points. But before that, Gar, how was your week? My week was pretty good. I actually got the tune to follow through from last week. Royal Mail delivered it on Tuesday. Breaking news, Garrett got to play Splatoon this week. How was it? Oh, it's it's awesome. I put 15 hours into it since Tuesday. And that's just, that's just me getting started. That's like a full-time job. It is. That's, it's, and they don't pay me to do it. But somebody has to. Somebody has to. Otherwise, Nintendo make no money. So, uh, was it everything you thought it would be? It was. It's great fun. Just flatting people. Running them over with rollers. You see, you have to shoot people, in theory, but... There's a weapon where you can just run them over with rollers instead. And I'm very bad at aiming, so that's much better for me. So would you recommend this to the listeners at home who are into gaming? Oh, if you have a Wii U, just go out and buy it. More than worth your time. Excellent. I watch Tracers as well. What's Tracers? I haven't heard of this. It's a a Taylor Lautner film where he's a messenger bike biker, and then he gets dragged in with a parkour crew who then go out on elaborate heists. It sounds vaguely familiar. I think I've actually seen it in passing, but yeah. I don't think I've actually ever seen it. Is it is it good? Not particularly. You see, Taylor Lautner plays this kind of oh bad guy with a past who's trying to come good, you know, and turn his life around. But you don't really buy Taylor Lautner as kind of a a bad man, do you? No. He's too good looking. Kind of cute. Yeah, like, he had facial hair to try and make it more convincing, but it wasn't convincing at all. Does he take his shirt off at any point? He doesn't. I was actually shocked. There is no shirtlessness in this film. That's usually that's that's his, his, yeah, that's his selling point. That's his USP. That's what it meant. Like, like millions of uh, teenage girls swooning over the Twilight films. It's exactly. It's just like oh, you know this this scene's a little bit flat. Maybe maybe a shirtless scene, and then it pops right off the screen. Yeah, but uh, he does have impressive abs. He does. I am his abs. He looks like he doesn't even have to try it. But he does. That's yeah, he <laughs> looks like, yeah, I just kind of look this way because I have good genetics and I don't eat anything ever. <laughs> yeah, he starves himself to get those abs. It's like he has to look like a werewolf at all times now or no, nobody thinks he's worth anything. Well, he, he's got to stay in good shape for the inevitable Twilight reboot. What's he been in since Twilight? There's an action film that I can't remember the name of that he did. I can't remember either. He's kind of like... Uh... Abduction. Abduction, wasn't it? Was ah, yes, yeah, something like yeah. that. And he was going to on the run from some... Kind of bad people. Yeah, I'm assuming that was it. I don't, I don't know enough about that film to comment. To be honest, he's no Christian Stewart or Orpats in terms of celebrity after Twilight, is he? Yeah, I think maybe Twilight is as good as it's going to get for him. He'll work. Um, he wasn't Shark Boy and Lava Girl, if you remember back in his childhood. Yes, he was. Yeah, so I, I've never seen that film. I've never seen it either. But um, when I found out it was him, I was like, wow. Yeah, he's grown. Quite considerably. <laughs> yeah. He filled out quite well, didn't he? Mostly in the torso department. Yes. But uh, my week was fairly quiet in terms of just kind of working mostly. But uh, I had the pleasure of speaking to Irene Gallagher, who we'll hear from later, about her one-woman show. An extremely talented lady and very interesting. I think that she's going to be one of the ones to watch in the future in terms of theatre and film. So 
Uh, I'm very excited for the listeners to hear that and stick around to hear that later. It's going to be a, a good session. We spoke for about half an hour all about the show. Uh, and she, she really is a very interesting person and like one of the most friendly people that we've ever met. We were like, weren't even recording and we were just chatting away with film and theater and re- really, really good interview. So stick around for that. I can guarantee she'll be one of the best interviews this show has ever had. Yes, in our in our two week of the run. two interviews we've had. <laughs> so like, uh, not looking for Nicole last week. Nicole was an excellent interview Indeed as well. Indeed, she was. But uh, this is a step up from that. So we're getting better and better every week. Indeed. We're going to recap last week's stories uh, and provide some updates about some advancements in the story. So do you want to take the first one, Gary? Screech got caught. Poor Screech. That's uh, Dustin Diamond, who plays Samuel Screech Powers. I have to say the full name every time. He has a full name? Samuel Screech Powers. Samuel Powers? I never knew his name was Samuel Powers. Well, you've learned something on the weekend show this week. My hashtag free Screech campaign did not work. Convicted of two misdemeanors, including carrying a concealed weapon and disorderly conduct. But luckily for him, he was acquitted of the more major felonies, meaning that he'll only face nine months in jail. So it's only he'd been acquitted of carrying the knife, not stabbing a guy with it? Yeah, apparently the guy didn't know he'd been stabbed until he left the bar. How how do you not notice he'd been stabbed? I don't know. Is Maybe. it like those those cliched film things where you come out of a gun fire thing and you're like, oh wait, I've been shot. Yeah, it's like, I made it. Yeah. Oh, no. I, I'm, I'm, I'm like, like, they think that they've, they've gotten away scot-free, but they're actually dying. Yep. But uh, maybe Screech is just really bad at stabbing people. He looks like the kind of guy that would probably miss if he tried to stab you. Yeah, he doesn't look like he'd stab you very convincingly. Anyway, uh, most celebrities kind of get off of community service. However, I don't think Screech is actually famous enough anymore to uh, nope. to avoid the rap. So it looks like he's going down for nine months. That's uh, that's uh, <laughs> that's all I've got to say about that, unfortunately. Oh, poor Screech. Poor Screech. Uh, hashtag free Screech. Brilliant news coming out of Australia this week. The Labour leader, who is in opposition to Tony Abbott's Liberal Party, is proposing a bill on same-sex marriage. Which is very good. We're changing the world. This podcast and Ireland. Damn right. So I think uh, uh, the pressure that we put on Tony Abbott last week worked. Yeah. Of the 109 people that listened to it, he was clearly one of them. And he said, we're going to have to do this. The weekend show disapproves of my stance and... I think they're going to be big players in the future, so I'm going to have to appease them and allow a bill to at least go up for debate. Bill Shorten, who's the Labour leader, uh, proposed the bill. Gay rights advocates fear government MPs will be reluctant to back the bill as it would be seen as a political victory for Shorten over Prime Minister Abbott, which is really quite petty, isn't it? It is. It's like, oh, this is uh, the equality issue of our times, but no, it'll be a political loss for me, so we can't support it, can we? So Shorten told Parliament that the law should not compel religious clerics to to, to officiate at same-sex marriages. So uh, I think that's a, one of the contentious parts of it. People were saying that it's going to influence or affect the church. and Force, force priests to uh, officiate over gay marriages. Yeah. Which is not the case here, and it won't nope. be the case in Australia. And Tony Abbott was urged to allow his MPs to vote freely on the bill. And there's really no reason why they shouldn't. I mean, it's not exactly like, well... The, the idea would be that they'd back the party line, and which is anti-same-sex uh, marriage. Yeah. But it's a, the issue is bigger than party politics, it I think. Is. And it's, it's not like a budget, which to a degree makes sense that you'd whip it. Because you want a budget to pass, you don't want to cover our country without it. But this is an issue of conscience. It's a more of social issue, and it, there's no reason to have a party whip over a vote like that. So Bill Shorten, just to, to top off that story, uh, a quote from Bill. Our laws should be a mirror for reflecting our great and generous country and our free, inclusive society. 
says it all, really. Indeed. Good on you, Bills. <laughs> get it, get it done. Get it done. We got it done, Bill. It's your turn. And we were one of the most backwards Catholic countries in the entire world. Yeah. Big update of the week, Gareth. Seth Blatter, shortly after being re-elected as FIFA president, decides to step down. Once again, the, the influence of our far-reaching podcast. The timing is not coincidental. It's not. Think. That's two. Gay marriage in Australia and and Seth Blatter resigning is both because of us. Do you think he's one of the 109 listeners? He's definitely one of the 109 listeners. The pressure has worked. He just felt the heat from us and he decided to, to, to vacate the job. He will be replaced as president as soon as he can arrange an extraordinary Congress to elect a new one, which will be between December and March of next year. Which is a fair while away at this stage now, isn't it? <laughs> so it almost seems like he knew that he was his time was up, but he just kind of decided to seek re-election and then Take a victory lap and then resign. Exactly, because it would take so long to actually bring all the FIFA delegates together again. Quote from Blatter says, While I have a mandate from the membership of FIFA, I do not feel that I have a mandate from the entire world of football, the fans, the players, the clubs, the people who live, breathe and love football as much as we do at FIFA. Therefore, I have decided to lay down my mandate at an extraordinary elective congress. He's 79 years old. It's about time. 79 years old being re-elected i mean uh i mean i'm sure he's made more than enough money by now i'm, I'm sure like he has several offshore bank accounts with, <laughs> yeah. with healthy pensions in them so the fai have been linked to the scandal uh allegedly they were paid five million to drop their legal challenge when when french striker thierry, thierry Henry handled the ball resulting in our playoff loss Chief executive of the FAI, John Delaney, was one of the more outspoken critics of FIFA and Blatter, but apparently this five million may or may not have been accounted for, which uh, Delaney has denied. You got more on that there. It's a lovely slice of hypocrisy, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, football corruption, Blatter out, hey, you've given us five million, thank you. Well, they claim it was uh, used to make payments to New Stadium Limited to pay for the Aviva Stadium, which, fair enough, if it was. And we'd, we'd take what we can get. We were never going to win that legal challenge, realistically. Yeah, there was a thir- talk about Ireland being a 33rd team, which... Would have been ridiculous. Seth Blatter laughed at openly yeah. and made jokes that are... Fairly justifiably, in fairness. Apparently, there was also a $400,000 goal project grant to use towards regional uh, football and development centres in Ireland as well. So it was good for us. So we paid for our stadium. And and we got something out of it. And we got... Uh, a development uh, program out of it. So, you know, it wasn't that bad. As I said, would we have won the legal challenge? No. Would uh, we have won that, uh, that match even if Henri hadn't handled the ball? Well, probably not. It, it, <laughs> would have went extra time. We probably would have still lost. But that was an extra time, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah. We would have, we were kind of, oh, yeah, it was going to our penalties. We were denied our rights to penalties, which is our main bone of contention. contention we don't there. do that well on penalties. No. I'm thinking World Cup 02. But Shea Given, though, was a good goalkeeper. So, he was. Uh, you know, we were denied our fair opportunity, yeah. and we were going to sue for that. Uh, we so, got five million to shut up. Uh, apparently, Delaney's main problem with the la- the main point of the legal challenge would have been the, the seeding, which was suspicious, apparently, to say the, the to say the least. Mm-hmm. So, we don't know what's going to happen with uh, FIFA. We don't know how Seth Blatter has been imp- implicated in these. Uh, yeah, by all accounts, the, the current corruption charges were creeping ever closer to him. Which yeah. might have caused him to jump before he was pushed. And we'll find out now whether FIFA is a snake or kind of a hydra. Yeah. Cut off the head and everything gets better, or cut off the head and two worse grow back. Exactly. And like there's 
there's like all the other people rise up to take control. Yeah. And they're even worse than Blatter was. Uh, I can't. He can't claim ignorance. I don't think he can. No. I mean, you have to know that something is going on. But at the same time, uh, even if he does uh, leave before he's pushed, uh, that doesn't mean he's going to beat the rock law-wise, is he? No, but it might kind of ease pressure on people kind of pursuing him for it. That's true. Time will tell, Garrett, but that's our recap of last week's stories. Next up is our Week in Words. Stick around and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Weekend Show Podcast with Ken Kidney. This morning it's the end of an era for the so-called love locks on an historic bridge in Paris. The government is starting to remove these symbolic padlocks. Some call them an eyesore and a safety hazard. As you just heard, Paris, known worldwide as the city of romance, broke the hearts of thousands this past Monday by beginning the process of removing hundreds and of thousands of love locks or padlocks that were changed to the city's bridges by lovebirds from around the globe. Officials set out in the early morning on the city's Pont d'Arts. I don't know if I said that right. You did like six years of French, Ken. My French is poor, to be fair. And set, out, set about cutting off all the locks. For years, couples have written their names on padlocks to symbolize their commitment, then throwing the key into the River Seine so no one could ever break their bond. Turns out they could. Yep. Uh, Apparently, bolt cutters will do the job quite nicely. <laughs> the seemingly harmless ritual has become a, a real problem for city authorities. Last year, police rushed to clear tourists off the Pont de Arc when a section of the footbridge collapsed under the weight of the locks covering the 155 meter foot long, uh, long bridge. Yeah, so apparently, they put up plastic panels uh, in places to prevent attempts, and the authorities even launched a campaign to kind of encourage tourists to express their love in other ways. Didn't seem to work. Not really. Because they were... Uh, Still collapsing bridges left, right and centre. <laughs> exactly. The weight of love literally collapsing bridges. Yep. As we noticed, it used to be known as the City of Love or City of Romance, now known as the City of Health and Safety. Do you think our French divorce rates are going to skyrocket now because the covenant has been broken? Yeah, the, the, the bond that was formed over the lock was has been shattered. And now Such everyone's a... dreams and love, love and happiness are gone. So automatically, like all over, it's like a spell has been broken all over France and the world and people will start fighting yeah. constantly. And like, have, like we'll see divorce rates uh, rise w- w- worldwide because of the poor, the poor city officials just doing their jobs. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a metaphor for love, isn't it? It starts strong, crumbles under its own weight until someone eventually gets hurt. Actually, remember the Parks and Recreation episode where Ben and Leslie locked the lock on that bridge? Yeah. Someone stole that lock. They cut it off? Yeah, they went up, they cut off the lock they put and stole it. Did it, did it end up on eBay or...? I don't know. What horrible people. What horrible people breaking the, the love of two fictional characters. Exactly. I must, well, I suppose it must have been some kind of super fan that was desperate to have it. I wonder how they found it because, as you just noted there, there's hundreds of and thousands of them. Searching it for hours looking for Ben and Leslie's lock. But like, they did like have a picture and they're just like trying yeah. to match the profile. Checking the names. Moving on. You know, I feel unfit at the best of times, Garab, but this next story puts me to shame completely. Give this a listen. It may not have been the fastest marathon, but Harriet Thompson's 26.2 mile run on Sunday still broke records. Thompson is 92 and she is now the oldest woman to ever complete a marathon. It happened at the Rock and Roll Marathon in San Diego. She ran her first marathon at age 76. Her unofficial time today, just over 7 hours and 24 minutes. A 92-year-old cancer survivor walked her way into the record books last Sunday, becoming the oldest woman to finish a marathon. Harriet Thompson of Charlotte, North Carolina, completed the Rock and Roll Marathon, very intense sounding, 
in San Diego in 7 hours, 24 minutes, 36 seconds. Quite an impressive feat, really. Doing so while battling a staph infection in her leg. This is the, her 16th time completing the endurance race. Harriet said afterwards that she couldn't train very well because her husband was very ill, and I had to be with him for some time, and then when he died in January, I had some treatments on my leg. I was just thrill really thrilled that I could finish today. Again, that makes me feel inadequate. <laughs> she did it last year as well, in the exact same time almost. That's, that's, like, I couldn't finish that marathon in seven. I wouldn't finish the marathon first and foremost, but in seven hours, it just wouldn't happen. Like, all, like, do you ever see that episode of Scrubs when they try to run the marathon and, like, they're closing down everything and taking out all the, all the, all the barriers on the finish line away? Yeah. I'd be that guy. Yeah. The guy that's, like, running across the finish line in, in pitch darkness as everyone else has gone home. 92 years old running a marathon. I, I couldn't run a marathon now. I couldn't run a 5K now. <laughs> Never mind a marathon. I couldn't walk a 5K, if I'm honest. No. I'm that unfit. But, uh... I always want to run a marathon, though. It is a goal of mine, and I think I've been inspired mostly out of shame to do it now because yeah. of Harriet's story. Uh, she's a she's I, seventy years older than I am, and she can run a marathon sixteen times. Yeah, and it seems like she has no plans to quit. She seems she's she's planning to go again if she's able next year, and uh, perhaps she'll break her own record and she'll beat her own time. Should beat her seven hours twenty four minutes. Best of luck to her. Aiming for 7 hours 23 next year, Harriet. And uh, we'll be closely behind you maybe 14 hours. Yeah. Uh, 36 minutes. We'll never get to San Diego. No. <laughs> we'll be somewhere out in like San Jose. <laughs> and and like people, like we'll be lapped by other pensioners. Yeah. We'll be lapped by next year's marathon runners. That's mm -hmm. how long it would take us to finish. Moving on. I am not a gambler, but after hearing this next story, I don't think I ever will be. So many recent cup finals have been decided by a single goal. They've done it by a four-goal margin. And the FA Cup returns to Arsenal. I'd imagine Tim Sherwood and his Aston Villa team were a bit down in the dumps this week after losing the FA Cup final 4-0 to Arsenal. But there was one Villa fan who was left devastated to say the least. One Villa supporter was so convinced of a win that he put his house and life savings on a cup win for his beloved Clariton Blue. This story was covered by journalist David Blackmore, who tweeted that he met the man on the tube who told him all about his massive leap of faith. Massive leap of faith is an understatement. I think he literally, like, he took the, the saying, bet the house a little bit literally. He did, especially on Aston Villa in a cup final against Arsenal. I don't think any, even... Uh, many Aston Villa fans really were going for a bit of a day out. They I don't think Tim Sherwood, in truth, truly believed they were going to beat Arsenal. Yes, kind of. They were their their achievement was getting to the final. Yeah, I especially think. two weeks before they lost six 0 to Southampton. Apparently, the man met a psychic on the train to Wembley, and this is what convinced him to bet the house, as it were. Uh, so I had a thought. Do you think that the psychic was possibly Paddy Power in disguise? I do like the idea that Paddy Power is just sitting on tube stations, convincing people to bet their entire fortune on very unlikely results. And then he's just, and then after they click bet on their Paddy Power apps, he goes, yeah. <laughs> disappears into the night but, in a cloud uh, of green smoke. Paddy Power are really known for their quirky advertising and their their promotional campaigns. So maybe as an as an act of good faith, they could give him his house back, but like painting in Paddy Power colors, so it's uh a keen promotional too. Or he has to legally change his name to Paddy Power. Exactly. That sounds that sounds more like their style. Yeah. Or they'll buy Aston Villa and they'll make this man the, the, the chairman, chairman of this or the mascot. 
like the mascot, and he's dressed up as a giant house. Yes, that he bet. <laughs> I feel sorry for him though, because there was there was no stage of that match where Villa looked like they were going to win. He didn't even have like that moment where like it's oh it's going to come good, it's going to come good. Yeah, they had maybe I think it was between zero and two shots on target for the yeah, entire Arsenal game. Destroyed them because we were it was actually on while we were recording this last week. It was kind of on in the background. Yeah, it was just like Arsenal never looked at any stage like they were going to lose. Like, they literally probably could have brought the trophy with them at halftime. We feel sorry for him. If we were in a position here at the weekend show to buy his house back, we would. At the moment, we don't have millions in the bank. It's not a very lucrative endeavour so far. But if you guys keep listening and maybe donate 10000 uh, anonymously, perhaps, to us. We would happily accept it. We won't buy the guy's house back. We'll take the thing around for ourselves, yeah. Yeah. We might invest it back into the pot. We might be one of those charities that claims that we're going to give them the money back, but like really only like 1% goes to his cause. It's all goes to our CEO pay instead. <laughs> exactly. So we're like, what, 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 what will our charity be called? Garkin Enterprises Charitable Endeavors? Villa Man. Villa Man, yeah. Save Villa Man. So we have Free Screech and Save Villa Man. Hashtag Save Villa Man. Yeah, these are the campaigns we start on the show. Warning, our next story may cause extreme arousals for some of our listeners. Mr. Grey will tell his side of the story now. A new Fifty Shades of Grey book is in the works, and this one will be told from kinky businessman Christian Grey's perspective. Variety reports that the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy is set to continue as author E.L. James is reportedly preparing a book retelling the events of the original novel from Christian Grey's point of view. The move is apparently in response to demand from fans of the original trilogy, who have been inundating James with requests for the spin-off. James says that, as anyone who has ever been in a relationship knows, there are two sides to every story. It's been a great pleasure to return to my happy place of writing, being with Christian and Anna in their universe, and working with the fantastic team at Vintage. Or to summarise, money please! There's another Parks and Rec reference for you. We're very into our Parks and Rec. It's the best show on earth. If you, if you think about it, though, it will be a really easy ca- cash-in for E.L. James because a book of that kind, especially if they aim it at men, would only have to last for like maybe 30 seconds to a minute max. Hi-oh! hi it's, it's literally like the laziest idea you could come up with. It's like, how do I keep this going? And you're surprised from reading this book? I read part of it. It's garbage. You say you read part of it, Ken? I, I read part of it. I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily knock her. I mean, she's been very successful at it, but really, it's just like people will buy it too. It's the sad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, could she maybe not try to come up with a new story or, like, maybe even a spin-off based on some of the other characters? Maybe what they do in the future. Like maybe. Oh like, no, they did sequels. She already did sequels. She's run out of sequels. You see, that's her problem. Yeah, but maybe she could kind of do like a ten years later type of thing. Yeah, but maybe that's maybe beyond her 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 skills of prose and 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 structure. She she wrote this as a Twilight fan fiction years ago, so... I don't know how that... Like, I've read about it on Wikipedia, not because I'm obsessed, but only because I'm a journalist. Yeah. And I don't know how it made the leap from Twilight fan fiction to... to this. How, like... There is no vampires. No. But... Unless that's... That's that's what actually this... This spin-off is about. He is actually a vampire. And she... He didn't tell her. An S&M vampire. Yeah. The whole time. But I think it was, the characters were basically the Twilight characters and he just swapped out the names. Pretty much. From what I can understand of Wikipedia and mm-hmm. reading all three books. I'd imagine remove the vampire stuff. Yeah, because she gets sued by an equally as distinguished writer, Stephanie Mayer. 
Fair play, though. If you could make money for writing rubbish, you would too. <laughs> Basically, she said it herself. She was a bored housewife who really just wanted an outlet to live out her fantasies and people were interested in it. And, and she made millions of dollars. And continues to. So I can't blame her. Nope. I, I've tried several times to write my own erotic novel because it seems like much easier than real work. Following in Alan Shatter's footsteps. Alan Shatter, who is one of our, our ministers, or former minister, for Justice. Justice. Justice wrote an erotic novel called... Yes, what was it called again? I can't remember what it was called. I've read a part of it. It was really kinky. You've read all these exotic novels now, haven't you? Well, it was research for my own novel. Right. Which is set to come out in 2017. I'm going to hold you to that. The Weekend Show presents <laughs> yeah. Erotic Novel by Ken Kidney. Uh, don't hold me to that, because if I write an erotic novel, then the world is going to have to see what goes on in my head, and I don't think anyone wants that. Not at all. Looking forward to seeing what happens in the next series of Orange is the New Black? Well, you may have to wait until a word from our sponsor. Money is the McMansion in Sarasota that starts falling apart after ten years. Power is the old stone building that stands for centuries. I cannot respect someone who doesn't see the difference. Streaming site Netflix has confirmed that it's publicly testing ads before and after its shows. Tests indicate that some ads would not be skippable, meaning that you'd have to endure them before you get to see your favourite Netflix show. Netflix itself has been quick to point out that these ads are tests only, and many experiments like these are never ruled out. Netflix later confirmed that it had no plans to run third-party ads, but traders for their own content. So they were kind of quite adamant about that, saying that it's not going to be like a cash-in, it's just to promote their own content and add value to the user. CEO Reed Hastings posted on Facebook that there's no advertising coming onto Netflix, period. Or full stop for your European listeners. Yeah, so uh, he's, yeah, he kind of reiterated the same point, saying that it's just going to be native stuff just to kind of uh, point the user towards. You're butter. watching The Blacklist. Would you like to watch House of Cards? Would that kind like... of deal. Yeah, exactly. It'll, it'll happen eventually, though, you'd have to think, wouldn't it? Yeah, and I don't believe them when they say it's not going to be a third party. Yeah. It's it like Netflix is so big now, it's gonna be a major source of revenue for them. You would they, think so. And like love it or hate it, it's like taking YouTube for an example. I got over it in the end. Like initially I was like like almost offended by these I was like, I just, I just wanna watch I just wanna watch my cartoons. <laughs> what 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 are you what are you doing? You don't make me watch an ad about about like, 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 what? What are the ads had recently? Like, there's, a, there's a Magnum run recently that I can't get away from. Yeah. There was the the no side of the referendum. There's a bunch of YouTube ads which made me infuriated for both having to sit through an ad and having to sit through a no ad. Yeah, there's ads for insurance. There's ads for everything. But basically, Guinness tend to advertise a lot on YouTube. Yeah, it's just like I I just want to watch some some funny videos of cats playing the piano. Cat playing pianos are delightful. I mean, if the ad had a cat playing a piano, I'd maybe, watch that ad all day. I might be more receptive to it. Listen, if you're listening, YouTube. Use some of your greatest hits as your ads. It's genius. It is. So, like Guinness presents cat piano. Exactly. People will actually like watch the ads and not skip them. Then that's like, that's the idea of viral ads, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Companies trying to play on our our love of cats like, and other such things. Like, and like like non skippable ads are probably the most infuriating thing on the internet. Yeah, that uh, I like that. Here's a five seconds of an ad. Then you can skip it. If you're interested in watching the rest, which I am never <laughs> interested in watching the rest, you can go ahead. If not, skip it. But like they have these 30 second ones that you have to watch before you watch the video. And like 
I think like before, like the internet were up arms, like this isn't fair, this is exploitive. Uh, but like YouTube is such a popular website that they kind of just got away with it in the end. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it helps make those content content creators money. So it's true. They're like, supporting people. So like, like I think over time, like initially there would be a backlash, but like people like are so fond of Netflix and it's so far reaching into all our communities. I don't think I know a single person that doesn't have a Netflix account. Yeah. So. If they were to adopt it, I think it might hurt them initially, but I do think in the long run, people would just kind of get over it. Hulu in the US, which is kind of an equivalent of Netflix, uh, has ads. Do you think and it hurts their and what, what they could do, and I think who would do this, is have Netflix regular where you pay your eight bucks a month and you get ads, or you can pay 12 bucks a month for no ads. Spotify has a similar yeah. model as well. I actually, for the sake of the money, and it's 10, 10 I think for me, it's 10 euros a month for Spotify. I signed up for the the paid account because it is it is a lot smoother like and uh, the ads are quite intrusive if you have a free account. Yeah. Have, you've experienced that yourself. You have a free one account. every four songs or something, isn't it? Yeah, and you're just like I'm jamming, I'm chilling, listening to my tunes, and it's just like, have you tried this? Have you thought about this? <laughs> it's just like you're harsh on my balls, Spotify. Yeah, but uh, I think Netflix are going to take over the world eventually, assuming no one else takes over them first. Exactly, uh, but. Uh, they seem to be going from strength to strength in terms of their online streaming service. And oh, like there's a new Netflix show every week. I wouldn't be surprised. There was this year. There's been Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. There's been Grace and Frankie, the Sensei, the new Wachowski. Uh, Wachowski. Wachowski. What? What? Wachowski. Whichever Matrix fellows. They have a new show on Netflix, which I watched the first twenty minutes of yesterday. I was bored of. Yeah, Marco Polo. That's another one. Yeah, there's Didn't a new like it. and um. Yeah, there's a new show every week. But it like, seems like. Do you see them transferring to mainstream media, like having their own network eventually? On I don't. I don't ever see them doing that. I don't think that's ever really in their mission statement. That's true. And they're they trying have, to kill it, not become it. That's true, and they have been embraced by the mainstream media. Like they have won Golden Globes for like and Emmys, which is a huge step for like online content being recognized on the same level as as traditional television. Yeah, ads ads will probably happen inevitably. Ads are here to stay, and they're going nowhere. And we will accept it eventually because there's nothing we can do about it. We're also saying that if advertisers want to sponsor this podcast, feel free to sponsor the weekend show. We would be very grateful. Uh, I think our listeners would reject it. Our, our 109 listeners may be a little bit irked in the beginning, but I think they love us enough and they love our witty banter so much that they would stick with us even if we had a few ads. Wink, wink. Please sponsor us. <laughs> We're going to be a big deal. As the 2016 US presidential race begins to hot up, we all expect a few gaffes to start rolling in, but I don't think any of us expected one this soon, and this one is a doozy. You know, Vice President Joe Biden. <laughs> you know the nice thing? You don't need a punchline. <laughs> U.S. presidential hopeful Ted Cruz cracks a joke at Joe Biden's expense three days after his son's death. Speaking at a rally on Wednesday, Cruz from Texas seemed to suggest that Biden was such an object of ridicule that the mere mention of his name was enough to cause people to crack up. Cruz stated, 
You don't need a punchline. The next part here, I just walk up to somebody, say, Vice President Joe Biden, and just close your mouth. They'll crack up laughing. Cruz, who apparently repeatedly used the routine as part of his campaign speech, was criticized for the joke being poor in poor taste given the circumstances. Bo Biden, a politician like his father, died of brain cancer on Sunday at only 46 years old. Cruz was confronted with his mistake as he left the campaign event. When a reporter asked him for a comment on the passing of Bo Biden, Cruz responded, Heartbreaking and tragic. Our prayers are very much with Vice President Biden and Jill Biden. It's a tragedy no one should have to endure. When asked why he made a joke about Joe Biden's son, he immediately walked away without any further comment. On Thursday, however, due to major backlash, he had to do a bit of a U-turn, and Cruz issued an apology on Facebook saying it was a mistake to use a joke about the Vice President Joe Biden during his time of grief, and I sincerely apologize. Why does politics have to be so mean? I know. Why, why do you have to say, oh, look, Joe Biden, <laughs> he's a joke. Even even under any circumstances. And then, you know, something bad happens and you're like, oh, well, I'm sorry for saying it in this instance, not every other time I called the man a joke. The one thing that offends him is that he was using it throughout the campaign, so he didn't specifically choose to use it at that time. But it's just mean-spirited. Like, why not talk about your policies and why you should be president and what you're going to bring to the, the role and the country? And what, what, what does it matter? Like, when Joe Biden finishes up as vice president, he's going to have nothing to do with the race. I mean, he's Unless finished. he runs. Well, he could if he wants. So he technically, could. Yeah, he could run for president. But he's not going to be involved in the race. He's not, he's not going to be running against the ticket of Obama and Biden. So there was really no need for it. And his apology was, like, one of the most formulaic. Yeah. It, it seemed a bit insincere to me. It's... And, like, the... The, the current presidential uh, race has 14 candidates, 10 Republican, 4 Democrat. That's at least 12 people who are utterly delusional. <laughs> the thing yeah. that they, who are polling at probably a sub-5%, maybe even less, are somehow going to become president of the United States. When you boil it down, basically what we're talking about is the Hillary Clinton show and the other guy. Jeb Bush, probably. Jeb Bush, who... So it's Bush against Clinton again. Who recently justified the war in Iraq and then went back and said, I, I did, misunderstood you. I didn't mean to say I would have gone into Iraq. The I, trademark, I misunderstood the question. Yeah. It's actually strange, like, how, like, he almost looks like the love child of his brother and his dad. He looks yeah. like an exact mix of both of them. It's really strange. But back to Ted Cruz. Do you think his race has run uh, before it's even begun now? I, I don't, it's, it's politics. I think this is the kind of thing you would brush off in a day, sadly. Yeah, because something else, the media circus will yeah. look at something else. They and move on. He'll be able to brush it under the carpet. He is from Texas, though, so uh, he comes from a long line of politicians from Texas who put their foot in their mouth, George W. Bush being the most prominent one. It's all a little sad that it's all going to come down to Bush against Clinton again, isn't it? <laughs> Bush versus Clinton, too. Yeah. Endless dynasties. We should come up with a tagline for that. That's, that's, that's like a, a really punchy tagline. The rebushing. The rebushing. This time it's personal. That was your week in words. More stories next week. Coming up after the break, we look at the summer blockbuster lineup. You're listening to the Weekend Show Podcast with Ken Kidney. Download every Sunday at soundcloud.com slash the weekend show. Given that we are now well and truly into the full swing of the summer blockbuster season, we're going to give you a quick preview of all the films still to come throughout the summer. Because people love nothing more than spending their summer in a darkened room with little or no light. If you're from Ireland, you're not missing anything anyway, because our summer only comes once a year. Usually on a Wednesday. We've had a pretty crappy summer. Yeah, it's been like 
also so far. And but we have, we have uh, we, in recent years, we've had flooding in the summer, so I'm not really surprised. We'll take the kind of rain and relative coldness over exactly flooding. So I can. Uh, I can say that the cinema is a bit of a saving race for us because when you've got nothing else to do and it's you're stuck indoors and it's raining, you may as well be stuck indoors and watch a movie. So here we go. Just to recap, we've had a few films so far that would be categorized as blockbusters. I haven't got a Webster's definition here, but so far we've had Avengers, Tomorrowland, Fur- Furious 7 and Mad Max. So, Gar, um, you saw Mad Max last week. We won't need to go over that again. No, but we, we both just, saw Tomorrowland over the weekend. We both saw Tomorrowland, which I was confused by. Yeah, it's, it had it had everything I should like in that kind of film. You know, it, it's yeah. it's quite thoughtful. It, it's futuristic. It's it's upbeat. Its message is that positivity overcomes cynicism. It has George Clooney, who is the most charming man on earth. Gorgeous. Brad Bird has like an uncheckered record in directing. Yeah, from animation. And in, in live action. We'll talk about that in a minute. We'll talk about Mission Impossible. Yeah, I mean, he's directed The Incredibles, which I really like. Ratatouille, one of my favorite Pixar films. I think, like, one of the the cool things about the film was it was shrouded in a lot of mystery in terms of the promotion. So, like, I didn't know a lot about the film going in, which I kind of like. I actually yeah. really enjoy going to a film and discovering it as I watch it. I really like something about that. But, uh, unfortunately, they carried on that uh, approach through the entire film. So I actually really wasn't sure what was at stake for a lot of it. And they kind of, I don't want to give away any spoilers, but they kind of loosely alluded to it in the start. And then it came back in the end. You're like, oh, it was that? Yeah. I wasn't even paying attention to that. Yeah. So I think maybe it played its cards too close to its chest for too long. And I didn't become invested for that reason. What do you reckon? There, there wasn't really any end game until around 20 minutes before the film. It's like, oh, this is everything that's going wrong. Now we have to stop it. And there's this big thing that the 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 antagon or the the hero can fix. And why can why why is she the chosen one to fix it? I don't really know. Did you get that? Not really. But she's like she can fix it. She's the one. And it's like yeah. why 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 is she special? And why like how how does she automatically know how to fix this thing? Yeah. It was a little bit contrived for me, if I'm honest. And like I really wanted to like it. I did like elements of it. I like I liked the performance from Clooney. I enjoyed the supporting cast. Uh, the, the visuals are, are stunning. It really does give you a, a sense of a future that could happen, but also that's, you know, a bit... Kind of know, rooted in the past in the same way. Yeah, yeah so, like, the the, the, the city of, of Tomorrowland actually looks quite futuristic, like, almost stereotypically, but it also looks kind of exciting kind of thing, like, I could see myself living there. Yeah. But it has a kind of a feel of the old Disneyland Tomorrowland, which is kind of nostalgic, so I really kind of like that about it. So we've also had uh, the Avengers and Fast 7. They've been the benchmark so far They've for the summer season. They've made a lot of money. <laughs> so I'll take the Avengers, Gary. You can take Fury 7 because we're share, sharing caring. So the Avengers has made 1.325 million so far, making it the sixth highest grossing film of all time. Falls slightly short of the 1.519 billion that the first film made to bring it to the third highest grossing film of all time. But it should be noted that that film is going to run for quite a bit longer. So yeah. it still has time. Do you think Do you think that's an element of superhero fatigue? A little bit, because uh, I think uh, Age of Ultron was the 11th film in their, their canon. The MCU. Not to mention we have all the DC ones and... and the television shows now. The television shows. So it's, it's actually uh, seeping through every portion of our media these days. And don't get me wrong, I really enjoyed it. I thought... Daredevil was one of the strongest. That was fantastic. One of the strongest written 
seasons of television I've seen in a long, some long time. Some of the best action you see on TV. I mean, really strong. And it's not that I'm jaded by it, but I just think that, like with uh, teen fiction a few years ago, just because Marvel has struck gold with it, everyone's going to have yeah. trying to have their piece of the pie. Everyone's trying to create their own universe now. Exactly, and it's not always going to be really fantastic stuff. Yeah. So, do you want to tell the fine people of Furious Seven, the juggernaut so, that is the Furious franchise? So much money! It made one point five billion dollars. It's the fourth highest grossing film of all time, behind the Avenger, Avengers, Avatar, and Titanic. Yes. Uh, an astounding eighth installment is scheduled uh, April twenty seventeen. It's it's made so much money, especially since The Rock's come on board. It's really kind of ramped up. Yeah. But rarely do you see the eighth film in a franchise. A franchise that at one stage kind of looked dead after, like, Tokyo Drift. Yeah. Somehow revive and make that much money. Tokyo Drift was profitable by about $100 million. So. Yeah. They actually made a lot of money. So, like, they always made money. They never really, like, they were never flops. They never lost yeah. money. But, like, critically, the, the franchise lost direction at that point. Kind of steered back on course for four. Especially with five and bringing back Vin Diesel. Uh, uh, Vin Diesel was a huge coup, like because he wasn't a sequel guy until then. He, no. he never really did sequels. The thing was that he refused to do them, wasn't it? Yeah, so bringing him back was a really good move. Bringing the Rock on and just kind of appealing to like they're kind of tongue in cheek about what they are. Yeah. So like they don't kind of take themselves too seriously, and they know that they're they're basically a parody of an action film because like there's so much action and a lot of it like like. Like, if you stop to think about it, it doesn't make any sense. No, it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's, but They're the dumbest but most fun dumb films you'll ever watch. Exactly. It's like the definition of a popcorn movie. And, like, yeah. and like as much as I like a, a film that will, like, make me laugh, make me cry, like, like food for thought, sometimes you just want to see a, a film that you can just kind of just become immersed in yeah. and not have to think too much about. And that's, like, really, like, the pleasure of, 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 of a film like this. It's increasingly become less less a car film and more an action film that happens to have cars as well, which I think yeah. is going to broaden its appeal. So it's going to release itself from the shackles of having to have cars involved in in the plot somehow. You know? Yeah, the first the first three are very much kind of street racing films. Yeah, where these are just how many stunts can we do with cars? Yeah, exactly. So I think that it's a franchise that will go and go until basically people aren't interested anymore. Yeah. I think it could reach 10 or more. I, I don't think... That, I don't. Well, at the very least, you'd think it would get as far as 10 at this stage, yeah. Yeah, the appetite just seems to be there. I think like they keep on going up and up. The, the gross is just going up and up. What do, what do you think is the main thing that causes... Because, like, like, as you said, they're not masterpieces. Films. What is the main thing that, that is bringing in all these people? Is it that it came out of the quiet period? or Well, it was just before the Avengers. I think these kind of films appeal overseas as well. Because you saw Transformers make similar amounts of money in, say, China and those kind of markets. So I think these kind of like big action films really appeal to those audiences. Because yeah. the Avengers made more money in the US than Fast 7 did. But Fast 7 has made more money overall. So Fast 7 is clearly, it appeals more overseas than, say, the Avengers does. Yeah, and you kind of have to factor in rising ticket costs as well. Yeah. Um, year on year, they're, they're getting higher and higher, especially as you factor in 3D, for inflation. 3D inflation. Your, your business head is on there, Karen. IMAX. Uh, IMAX. Like, um, I'm not a fan of 3D. I think that... It's a gimmick, and a lot of the time it's a post-production conversion, so it's really just adding in little, little bits and pieces yeah, here and there. Mastery. Yeah, so uh, I'll avoid it if I can. Or IMAX. IMAX is like a legitimate viewing experience. I, I mean, IMAX is, is it really expensive. Like, I wouldn't go to an IMAX film every week, no. but I will say that it is worth it. It is an immersive experience. 
but I just feel cheated by 3D acting. I never yeah. actually come out of a film. It's like, I actively, was, I actively avoid 3D. Where was the, like most of the films I come out and go, where was the 3D? I didn't. Like if a film is out in 3D and 2D, I'll go see it in 2D. 3D in my mind, I want it to pop right into my face. I want to feel the. the... Like that's the old Disneyland rides. Yeah. You, you remember? Like, yeah. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which like legitimately popped out in front of your face. Yeah. I want to feel the fire. I want to feel yeah. like the fire, the exploding car. I want to feel like, I want to smell the gasoline. Well, that would be 4D. Smell of it. Smell, smell and, and... Well, the fourth wind. dimension is time, Gareth, not smell. The Doctor taught you that, did he? Yes. We doctor. will probably do a Doctor Who episode. Yeah, we'll probably you do something on Doctor Who in the future, so if you're into that, come back to us. Moving on, though, the, the one of the biggest anticipated films of the summer is Jurassic World. Steven Spielberg is back at the helm for this one. He's uh, not directing, he's producing. He's, he's involved, like, he's heavily involved more than he would have been yeah. in previous ones. So it's directed by Trevor McMorrow, safety not guaranteed. Big step up for Trevor. Colin Trevorrow. Okay. <laughs> Go on. What did I say? Trevor McMorrow. <laughs> Trevor McMorrow. <laughs> come from? I don't know. Maybe it's like someone from my past. I don't know. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, listeners. Uh, it's directed by Colin Trevor. You just, Gary, you just say it. Colin Trevorrow. Trevorrow. I got it. Starring Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard, Vincent D'Onofrio, and Ty Simpkins. So what do you think, Gary? Are you going to go see this one? I, I really like Chris Pratt. And uh, Colin Trevorrow directed Safety Not Guaranteed, which is this really quirky little film starring Aubrey Plaza, Plaza and Jake Johnson. If you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix and I'd highly recommend it. And it's quite short as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's like it's only about 75 hour, minutes or yeah, something? Yeah, about an hour and a half. Hour and a quarter? I think it's between the 60 and 90, somewhere in the Check middle. it out, though. It's really worth it's it. Really, it's a really good, quirky little film, which kind of gives me hope for Jurassic Park that they'll go for kind of a kind of weird, quirky, funny tone. So more of a kind of a tongue-in-cheek vibe, kind of like the Fast franchise where it kind of knows what it is. Yeah. But and Chris Pratt is the lead. Chris Pratt's like the best. If you look at the poster alone, it's him riding a motorcycle, running, well, like his his team of raptors are running <laughs> yeah. around him. So I think I think it is going to be more of a tongue-in-cheek look at, at what it was. I've read that it's a direct sequel to Jurassic Park, so it's actually ignoring the first two in the franchise. Yeah, two and three. I have to say, I'm a little bit resentful of the it happened again premise, like oh, we didn't learn the first time and we decided to do it again and we're arrogant enough to clone our own dinosaur. Keep on making dinosaurs Not only clone dinosaurs, but you make our own dinosaur, yeah. which, surprise, surprise, does not go well. I don't mind that. It's like, what else are you going to do? It's like, oh, we're the, like the, the plot of Godzilla was that, oh, well, they came from the crusts of the earth. That's that's more boring. Oh, we made it. It's the human hubris of, well, I failed. Let's try again. <laughs> so, like, I suppose, you know, like, it is a good point that, you know, history, people who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So, you know, it is a classic story in some ways. I just thought, like, maybe you could have found a different way to, to tell the story. But again, I think they kind of maybe went down those roads in The Lost World. and Yeah. Yeah, so maybe they just is better kind of almost rebooting it. I know it's not a reboot, it's a continuation, but almost rebooting it in terms of the concept. But I think I think this is going to be like the the big film of the summer. Yeah. Obviously, after the the two that have come before with Avengers and Fury Seven, I think this is going to make a lot of money. I reckon it's going to be straying towards the one and a half billion as well, possibly yeah. possibly more. Pixar, who took a break in two thousand fourteen, are coming back on July twenty fourth with Inside Out. This one I am extremely excited about. Directed by Pete Docter from from Monsters Inc. and Up. So um, that's a pretty substantial pedigree. I mean. Literally two of the, the very best Pixar films. Yeah. Pixar lost its way a little bit recently in terms of its its artistic vision. Yeah, Brave and Cars and Monsters Inc. 2 were 
they were just or Monsters University technically. Yeah, they, they were enjoyable. Yeah, I enjoyed them. I like there's nothing like I wouldn't say like that they were terrible. No, but I just think when you when you go into well, first of all, two of the films were sequel. Well, one was a prequel, so you're kind of just going back to the same well, even though there wasn't really a story to tell. Yeah. And with Brave, it's kind of followed too much the formula of a Disney princess movie. So I think they're getting back on to more, you know, new ideas, like new stories, new fran like not new franchises, but new concepts. Like they're kind of going back to the creative well again, rather than yeah. dip dipping into stuff that they've gone to before. And I think that's where their greatest strength lies. Uh, and a really good cast as well. So the, the premise of it basically is that it's a teenage girl and we get to see what goes on inside her head in, and the emotions that fight for prominence in her, her life. So uh, we have joy, sadness, fear, anger, and disgust, and all-star cast pr portraying these emotions. Amy Poehler is joy. Big thumbs up for me. Yep. We were talking about Parks and Rec. Two biggest films of the summer could be Jurassic World and Inside Out, both led by Parks and Rec stars. Parks and Rec alumni. Ruling the world. Uh, another show with... Uh, which is linked to Parks and Rec, which is uh, The Office. We have Phyllis Smith as Sadness. She, uh, I mean, you know, people who created Parks and Rec are, are former Office writers. So, yep. like, you know, it seems like The Office... Michael Furr used to, he played Moles on The Office. Yeah, it seems like The Office is kind of spreading its wings out in Hollywood and, yep. and influencing a lot of productions these days. Bill Hader from Saturday Night Live, from, uh, better known from Weekend Update, as Fear. Lewis Black of The Daily Show as Anger. That's his, his, his basically his wheelhouse right there. Yep. For those who haven't seen The Daily Show, he comes on once in a while and just basically rants for 15 he minutes. He enjoys his shouting. He just shouts at the screen. Yeah. And it, like, like it's, it's, it's fun to watch. So if you, if you haven't seen it before, check it out on YouTube. I'm sure you could find it, especially at The Daily Show on Comedy Central. They have a, a page there that you could probably see it. And rounding out the emotions is Mindy Carling as Disgust. Yeah. Some people said that like disgust is a strange one to choose. Like the rest of them kind of make sense, but disgust is like an odd choice. But another person I saw made the point that a teenage girl would have plenty of disgust yeah, for exactly. nearly everything, uh, if not disdain. So yeah, uh, big thumbs up for this one, here. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for this because it's Pixar going back to kind of what they do best, which is very creative, very unique ideas. Back to basics, and it should be noted that Pixar are coming up with two films this year. They yep. took a break last year. We were Pixarless last year. But this year they're coming out with the good dinosaur as well, which is a trailer we, dropped for about a week ago. We shot a first trailer this, this week. We posted it on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash twskk. That's twskk if you want to check it out. It is gorgeous. It looks so good. The animation is absolutely absolutely beautiful, and it's again it's just an original idea. What like it's so simple. What if the dinosaurs didn't go out of existence? Yeah. What would happen if the meteor missed? Moving Which on. is actually, it was a really good gag in the trailer, wasn't it? With the yeah. meteor coming in and it just zooms across the sky. <laughs> Don't spoil the trailer. So oh, sorry for want, spoiling the minute long trailer. We want people to go to facebook.com Facebook. forward slash TWSKK to check out the trailer and maybe like our page as well. So uh, another animation next coming up on June 26th, so that's this month, is The Highly Anticipated Minions, a spin-off of Despicable Me, directed by Pierre Coffin, who co-directed Despicable Me 1 and 2. Said that surprisingly, and Kyle Balda of the Lorax. I haven't seen that. Neither have I. It looked nice. Yeah. It looked like, kind of like bright and colourful. Again, we have an all-star cast. So like, animation seems to be attracting a lot of high-profile actors these days. Because it doesn't, it's not like, well, not taxing is probably the wrong way, to, but it doesn't take up like a considerable amount of someone's schedule. They can kind of just go into a studio, record a few lines, yeah. and get in and out. And then do the promotional junket when it comes to it. So yeah. 
Sandra Bullock, John Hamm, Michael Keaton, who is like the toast of Hollywood these days, Alison Janney, who we're a big fan of there. I do like Alison Janney. Of Mom. I like the thing. Mom is such a good show. No one talks about Mom. Mom is really, really good. We'll give you an opportunity to talk about Mom in the future, maybe if we do television shows. We'll do a TV preview in September. Exactly. We can talk about Mom then. We'll talk about Mom then. We'll go back. We'll stick out on the movie trend. Steve Coogan, who I absolutely love as Alan Partridge, and Jeffrey Rush, the perfect narrator. I mean, I've seen the trailer, and like Jeffrey Rush is 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 magnificent. He has narrating. that kind of gravitas, doesn't he? And like, it's really funny. It's a really funny juxtaposition having like the gravitas of his voice yeah. narrating a story Goofy about minions, minions acting the Egypt. I think some people kind of look down on the minions to a degree because yeah. they're they're very much aimed directly at children. Minions are a bit of a marmite. Like yeah. some people really, really love them. I'm in that boat. I I love minions. I have a minion T-shirt. I have I had a minion phone cover at some point. I went minion crazy, but I got a birthday, minion birthday cake. cake. <laughs> it was awesome. So I love the minions, but some people absolutely hate them. It's like, what is the point of them? They're annoying, and those people have no souls. They so. don't. They're they're a delight, and but this this film is probably going to be delightful. Uh, even if you're soulless though and hate the minions, please do still listen to the weekend show. Yes, we need all the you soulless monsters. Support we can get. Don't call them soulless monsters. But they're soulless monsters, Ken. They are soulless monsters. Let's let's not get caught up in that because we don't want our viewership to plummet from our 109 109 listens, 53 Facebook likes. That's in a week. Okay, Edgar, do you want to take the wheel for this next one? Uh, Ant Man, July 17th, directed by Peyton Reed, who directed the breakup Yes Man and a bunch of New Girl episodes. And starring Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, Corey Stoll, who you might know from House of Cards, and Michael Douglas. I wasn't sure about this one. Neither am I. Because uh, Paul Rudd, as much as I love him, is like I very much see him as a rom-con type of guy. Yep. Michael Douglas, well, he's a great actor, but like, like I just I just thought it was kind of an odd casting choice. But then you got Robert Redford in the, the Captain America films, who is kind of a, a similar enough kind of actor. Yeah. But I suppose, as, as I think we kind of discussed this before, and you said that like nearly every major actor is yep. going to be tied to a, a, a superhero franchise at some point. Everyone's going to be wrangled in. But uh, it should be noted, though, that uh, a lot of people, including myself, felt the same skepticism when it came to Guardians of the, of the Galaxy. Yeah, it was an unknown property. Exactly. And they built such a, a pedigree for themselves that people gave Guardians a chance based on the fact that they liked the previous films. And it was... Uh, it was- very much strengthened by strong word of mouth as well, wasn't it? Exactly. So I think I, I think this is going to be a similar thing. I think people are going to go see it because they're used to have the the quality of the Marvel films. Yeah. And then it could spread again by word of mouth. But like they really developed a, a winning formula for, for yeah. making these films. And Paul Rudd, Paul Rudd, you can see fitting into that formula. Yeah. You know, the kind of light, whimsical, funny. Paul Rudd can do all that. With, yeah. Uh, with a glint in his eye. And yeah. Like, he seems to never age. Ever. He's like in his 40s now, isn't he? Mid-40s almost. He and looks he like looks, he's like 25. He looks the exact same. Yeah. Like, like, uh, one By of the his... way, Paul Rudd was also in Parks and Rec. So. He was also in Parks and Rec. So uh, if, uh, if the pe- uh, people from Parks and Rec are listening, uh, maybe you should retweet our podcast because we're promoting your show. So your show is amazing. Even though it's off the air. Still amazing. Dwayne The Rock Johnson is not done this summer. He's currently in San Andreas, which is now showing. Directed by Brad Payton of Journey 2 which also stars The Rock. Cats and Dogs Revenge of Kitty Galore. That was the best stuff I could find on his IMDb page. So that doesn't bode uh, magnificently well. No. But uh, it has The Rock and Paul Giamatti, who people seem to like, even though he annoys me. Why did he annoy you? I don't know. Maybe it's just his voice. It's like, oh, 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 oh. Right. 
irrational Probably. dislike of Paul Giamatti. Yeah, it's one of those people I just don't like for no reason. And do you see that like when he did Barney's version, he was like a big favorite for like the Golden Globes and like even the Oscars, and he got caught charging for autographs outside the Golden Globes, <laughs> so like it totally scuppered all his chances. That's just cheap, isn't it? But like for an actor who's got such critical acclaim over the recent recent years, it really really was disappointing. He was like, why? Was he, was he trying to be funny or is he genuinely just like trying to make money yeah. for, as long, for as long as he can? Cash in on the Oscar buzz. Before he, uh, before he said, like, people are not interested in, in him anymore. But uh, it's already made its money back. It's been out a few weeks. It's the kind of film that probably does exactly what it says in the tin. Yeah. It's a big disaster film. Buildings will crash down. The yeah. rock will save people. I'm surprised how, you know, The Rock is a helicopter pilot in this. Yeah. He's gigantic. Yeah. I'm surprised helicopters can fly with The Rock in it. Yeah, it's so like, like the propellers stop working because yeah, of the sheer like... weight of the, the Rock because he's a giant man. Uh, that's one of the main faults I thought. With it. I, I don't buy him as a helicopter pilot. No. He seems really out of place in that role. Why is he so big? <laughs> I, I, reviews have been really mixed as well. They kind of said that it should be more fun than this. Like, disaster movies should be scary, but like, they should be more fun. Like, yeah. they kind of, they kind of, sense of urgency and the sense of dread and anticipation and it just doesn't have it it just has a lot of set pieces that they kind of don't really come off in a satisfying way that said i'll probably watch it i don't think it's one for the cinema for me i don't think i'll pay my money to see it but if it comes on netflix down the road i, I might give it a watch yeah, it's the kind of film if you watch the trailer you're like yeah i'm into that it's probably exactly what the trailer suggests it's going to be so coming up soon on June 19th is Mr. Holmes, another Sherlock Holmes film. It's directed by Bill Condon of Twilight Breaking Dawn, parts one and two. So <laughs> at some point, Ian McKellen will be taking his shirt off. Yep. Ian McKellen playing Sherlock Holmes, of course. The Fifth Estate, uh, also directed by Bill Condon. And the upcoming live-action Beauty and the Beast, because Disney have no original ideas. They're just turning everything to live-action films. No original right ideas in live-action anymore. They've done Cinderella, they've done Maleficent, they're doing The Jungle Book. They're doing Mulan, there's talk of Hercules. And they did it, Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, and they're, made doing a million dollars. and they're doing the second one as well. Yeah. Through the Looking Glass. So it seems like, and they came up with some like really nice original films, like The Lone Ranger, which people hated. But I really like The Lone it. Ranger, yeah. But it seems that their original idea, or ideas just can't make money anymore, so they decided just to kind of. Even Tomorrowland isn't running away with it. Yeah, so they're kind of going back to the well and doing going to what people are familiar with because. Nostalgia is big business these days. Like yep. you can, if you can tap into that part of people's childhoods, that's where you get the money. I think. Yep. So Sherlock Holmes' character is is very much a hot property these days. There's two shows on television. There is an, uh, another film franchise with Robert Downey Jr. So I think you should benefit from that. And Ian McKellen is freaking Gandalf. So uh, I watched the trailer today, and I, sure. I really liked it. Yeah. I really like the idea that this is an older Sherlock Holmes kind of been dragged back one more time for another one last case that ties back into his past and like he's like it, it seems like i maybe i can misinterpret it but it seems like he's a little bit in over his head because he's of his advanced years yeah and he's struggling with his age and he's kind of failing genius yeah which is really interesting i think a really and i think interesting Ian McKellen is, the is the perfect person to pull that off yeah and even if it's just 90 minutes of me sitting there listening to ian McKellen speak that's going to be a good time. <laughs> yeah. So I, I reckon that's a thumbs up. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to be one that's going to, people are going to flock to see. It's not going to pull in. No, it's not the, going to be. The, the billions. But millions, yeah. I would recommend people go see that. It's going to be a, a sleeper hit of the, the summer, I think. Okay, moving on. We have uh, Adam Sanders' first cinematic offering in a long time with Pixels on August 12th. It should be noted that all these release dates are Irish release dates uh, for our Irish listeners. But you can find, you can easily find the release dates on IMDb. 
if you're looking for your local one. So it's directed by Chris Columbus, who uh, famously directed Harry Potter and Philosophers, Philosophers, <laughs> Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone and the Chamber of Secrets, as well as Home Alone, Mrs. Doubtfire and Percy Jackson. So he's got a, a good pedigree in terms of family films. Yeah, these kind of films are kind of very up, very much up his alley. Star- starring the winning combination of Adam Sandler and Kevin James. Please with... don't let that turn you off immediately. <laughs> let us finish. So also Peter Dinklage of Game of Thrones, which may pull in a lot of people. Yep. And Josh Gad, who is a bit of a Marmite person as well. Some people love him, some people hate him. He's Olaf in Frozen, so I love him. Yep. So, um, I, I didn't know about what this film was about, so I actually had to, excuse me while I shuffle my script here, have to, I actually had to check out what it's about. So, it's set in the 1980s, if I'm correct, so correct me if I'm wrong at any point here, and they, they, they want to reach out to extraterrestrial life, so they make a time capsule and blast it off into space, and one of the things they send is an old Pac-Man machine, and the aliens take that as a declaration of war, yep. and decide to to attack Earth using these characters as their their models of destruction. <laughs> yeah, so you have giant Pac-Man running through the street killing people. And giant Donkey Kong. Which now, it's, it's a neat idea, and Space Invaders shooting people and all it, that. It sounds so cool, like literally yeah. a nerd's paradise. Like you have Donkey Kong on the Empire State Building kind of aping King Kong. But uh, the, to advance the premise further, Alan Sandler, a, a retro gamer, uh, a, a champion gamer, if you will, if you can believe that, has to pull together a ragtag bunch of other champion gamers, played by Peter Dinklage and Josh, Josh Gad, to defend the Earth. This is where things get a little bit hokey and flimsy for me. Adam Sandler is not as bankable as he once was. People will pay for his films, even That's My Boy yeah. and that other one. Was that the one with um... where he plays a woman as well? I can't remember yeah. what it's called. God, he makes bad films and the grown-ups films. He just seems to insult, like, well, those are, I thought those weren't that bad. They're, like, they're, they're passable. But it seems like he has a bit of a contempt for his audience these days, or, like, he just, th- he, like, he thinks that they'll just buy his, his shtick that he's been doing for 20 years. So, taking Adam Sandler out of it, I would actually been really kind of intrigued to see this film. As it is, it's, I think it's just going to be one of those Adam Sandler films. So. Yeah, but the trailer had this really good gag where Toru Iwatani, the creator of Pac-Man, he's been played by an actor in the film, where he's trying to talk down Pac-Man because he was his creator and he believes Pac-Man to essentially be his son. He tries to, to, to reason with the giant destructive Pac-Man, which I thought that was a really decent, a really good gag. But, so uh, like, oh no, Pac-Man, stop it. You're going to destroy the city. I'm your father. Listen to me. We're going to be taken off the air. Oh gosh. <laughs> Maybe I might cut that bit out. Or I'll leave it in. Who knows? Controversy creates cash. Yeah, it's a good idea, but I think it'll let me down, let down an execution. Moving on, another. I didn't know this film was coming out now this summer. Uh, Mission Impossible sequel. It's kind of flown under the radar, hasn't it? Yeah, like I probably would have heard about that it's more. Kind of stealthed its way into the summer schedule. Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. You're Sean Connery. Sean Connery. <laughs> is Sean Connery in it? I don't think he is. Rogue Nation on July thirtieth, directed by Christopher McQuarrie. Jack Reacher, also starring Tom Cruise. So it stars Tom Cruise, Jeremy Renner, and Simon Pegg, just like the last film. So the premise, just because I hadn't heard about it before, I'm going to read it to our people at home, because I don't think anyone's heard about this film. Yeah. Uh, the IMF agency comes under threat from the, the way, syndicate. 
that's the the IMF is the agency in the film rather than the International Monetary Fund. No, it's that like, confused me for a while when I read this. It was like Tom Cruise quits being a special agent and gets a job at the International yeah, Monetary Fund, enforcing very strict debt agreements. You know, it's got good dental and it's a desk job. But yeah. It's not as it's not as life threatening. Anyway, the syndicate is the big villain in this film, which automatically puts off alarm bells in my head because it sounds really yep. shade. They did. They thought of every like thirty seconds about the name of that. Described as a near mythical organization of assassins and rogue operatives who kill to order, are are after basically they want to kill all the IMF, not the International Monetary Fund. <laughs> no, for those who are uh, are confused. And faced with the IMF's disbandment, Ethan Hunt assembles assembles its team for one final mission perhaps they're most difficult yet, to prove the existence of the syndicate and bring the organization down, and this is another alarm bell for me, by any means necessary. Well, that's only kind of film speak, isn't it? Yeah, those two things, like one last mission, you know, like that old chestnut, and yep. by any means necessary, all those cliches kind of turn me off a little bit. Yeah. And it's not directed by Brad Bird. It's not, and he, he did a very good job with the last one. Yeah. Like so, the last, last one was a really good action film. Like, I like to say I'm not going to go see this one, but I'm one of those people that sees all these films yep. that I claim I won't and see. Tom Cruise has kind of been making really good films lately under yeah. the radar. It's easy to kind of poke fun at the Scientology nonsense, but yeah. Oblivion I thought was a really solid film, and Edge yeah. of Tomorrow was, was critically acclaimed. So I think he's been flying under the radar making really good films lately. Yeah, I think like that's what his problem was, his his reputation for his religion and his quirky rays and his and his personal life. People were kind of starting to kind of get a bit jaded by his his weird ways and his antics, yeah, which was kind of overshadowing uh, overshadowing his career. But at the same time, as he said, he's he created some really good films. I mean, I I really liked Oblivion. I thought that was a really solid film. Yeah, I you know I thought it was one of the better science fiction films in recent years. So I I would I would be giving it a chance uh, based on the the quality of the last one and Tom Cruise's recent films. He has he has the the pedigree for good films. Like, there's no denying it. So I, I would give that a thumbs up from my part, what about you? And this, it's one of the few, like, pure big action films of the summer. You know, yeah. taking out superhero films. There's really very few kind of blockbuster action films. Yeah. So, and Mission Impossible does tend to, to deliver as a franchise. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a pretty solid franchise. So um, I don't believe it's the last one. Uh, maybe they could probably spin it off with Jeremy Renner, as in, like... Yeah, he, he, but they he, did he, that with Bourne already, didn't they? Yeah, he'll be the main guy. And Bourne is the right name, because I was Bourne as hell. yeah. And now they're going back to um, Matt Damon. Yeah, it's like, um, like, and they'll do that thing where it's like, ignore that last one. It yep. never happened. Uh, take it, take it, take the wheel, Gar, as they say. Uh, next up is Fantastic Four, out August sixth, directed by Josh Trank, who did the film Chronicle, mm-hmm. which was a, a kind of nifty little film, a very kind of low budget superhero superpower film. Great concept. Yeah, starring Miles Teller, who's playing Mister Fantastic, Michael B. Jordan, who's playing Johnny Storm, Kate Mara, who's playing Susan Storm, and Jamie Bell, who's playing Ben Grimm. There's been a lot of backlash over Trank's choice of Michael B. Jordan as Johnny Storm. It I seems a bit care. racist to me. I don't care. Like many people are like, oh, he's a white character. He's white. You're like, why did you choose a black actor? Because he's a good actor. Yeah, what difference does it make? It's a really good cast, actually. A really good kind of young cast. Yeah. One of the reasons, like, Josh Trank was actually also uh, linked to, and he was actually signed on to direct one of the Star Wars spin-offs that are yeah. being filmed. And he quit because of online trolling, that, like, people were so harsh to him over the process of making Fantastic Four. One of the choices, as I said, choosing Michael B. Jordan as as Johnny Storm, that he decided not to do the Star Wars film because he just couldn't be bothered with that that level of uh, scrutiny anymore. Oh, and it would be rammed up for the Star Wars nerds. I have to say, I'm not a fan of the original franchise. No, they're very kind of camp and 
so yeah, yeah. and uh, like i like literally have no desire to ever watch those films ever again i'm not going to judge it on that merit because obviously it's a new franchise a new take on the franchise although i am i am tiring a little of the of let's make it dark and gritty angle uh it seems almost it's approaching a cliche at this point it is, but at the same time they're trying to be kind of like the antithesis of the Marvel films, which are kind yeah. of light and bubbly and happy. So yeah. you have DC who are do, kind of giving you the dark and Marvel who are giving you the light. But, it kind of but annoys... this, this is obviously Marvel as well with Fox. Yeah, but kind of annoys me the way they kind of, like, when they say dark and gritty, they really mean it because, like, the trailer literally has no light in it whatsoever. Yeah. It's shot all in, like, really low lighting. As in, like, if it was, if they had shot it in proper lighting, you'd see, like, that it wasn't, actually, it wasn't <laughs> actually a very good film at all. Uh, so... I, I have one, I just want them to say Flame on. That's all I want out of this film. I want Johnny Storm to say flame on and human torch to fly through the sky and go pew pew. And I'll be happy with this film. Yeah. Gar was very disappointed with the with the uh, trailer that was released recently because it didn't say flame on. It didn't say flame on. That's all I need from a trailer for Fantastic Four. It's like flame on, fly through the sky, pew pew, I'm happy. Ted 2, July 10th, directed by Seth MacFarlane of Family Guys. Family Guy. Uh, and Gal. And Gals. So, you know, we're inclusive here at the weekend show. I mean, in ways to die in the West. Like, when you're, when you're, I, I haven't never seen that film. So, yeah, like, right. when I read it, I was like, what is that? Oh, yes. Yeah. It's that Western film that nobody saw. That's Liam Neeson. It stars Seth MacFarlane voicing Ted again. Mark Wahlberg. Funnily enough, Mina Kunis opted out of this one. Yeah. Even though she was supposed to be the fiance. Uh, replaced by Amanda Seyfried. Liam Neeson. I like Liam Neeson because he's just like, he doesn't take himself too seriously. Yeah. He's like, I'll do Ted too. Why not? and morgan freeman one of the things i noted was it's actually got a much meatier premise than the first one like ted wants to have a child with his wife and to do so he has to be recognized as a person so he has to go through a legal battle to be recognized as a person <laughs> but i actually think there's actually a lot more opportunity for comedy and even emotional moments so it's a much richer premise this time so i really enjoyed the first one i thought it was funny you know it was what it was it was crude, yeah. crude i'm usually i'm usually the horrible prudish person who's like oh language and behavior i don't like that kind of stuff but no i like the first one i, I really did yeah. so if it gets my stamp of approval for kind of crude humor and as a sequel you know, as i said it's it actually has more more meat to its bones so i think it actually yep. really could it's not just the hangover it happened again it happened again and it happened again again yeah so and it'll I, probably happen again and Based on the reputation and quotability of the first one, I think it's going to do very well for itself. Yeah, it'll, it'll be the comedy of the summer. One of the other ones that people don't really talk about is Terminator Genesis on July 2nd. Again, it's, it's slipped under the radar. Yeah, I mean, like it's a major franchise rebooting itself. Directed by Alan Taylor, uh, Thor Dark World. A good Thor film. Good yeah. Thor film, not great. I wouldn't None say. of the Thor films are great. Uh, he also directed the pilot of Mad Men as well as a couple of other episodes. Some of Game of Thrones, some Sopranos, some West Wing, some Sex in the City. So very much a HBO kind of guy. Yeah, a fairly decent caliber television uh, director. Starring uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Matt Smith of Doctor Who fame, played the 11th Doctor. J.K. Simmons, that lady from Game of Thrones. I'm going to make an admittance here. I don't actually watch Game of Thrones, so you're going to have to tell me her name. Who? The dragon lady. Oh, um... Amelia Clark. It's it's very much going back to basics, isn't it? Yeah. It's very much here's irony. He's going to spout a bunch of a bunch of one liners and blow stuff up. But the whole premise is that it kind of blows everything out of the water, as in it like really it actually completely rewrites the entire continuity of the franchise. Yeah, which is no harm after the third and fourth ones because yeah. I think I I remember going to see the Terminator Salvation in the cinema with Christian Bale. 
I don't remember anything about it. I can't remember a single thing that happened, except that I was bored out of my mind. Yeah. I couldn't wait for it to end. I, don't, I usually don't mind Christian Bale, but that one yeah. just didn't work at all. That film is more famous that for his on-screen, on-set yeah. hissy fit where he threatened to fire the whole cast yeah. and crew, uh, rather than the actual film itself. One of the major contentions about this film is that the trailer, the latest trailer, actually has a major spoiler in it. Mm. You see, I watched all the trailers for all these films this morning, except that one, because I knew it had a spoiler, so I, 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 do, I don't know what the spoiler is, but that seems a little silly. It's gigantic. Right. I've, I've seen it myself. I'm not going to spoil it for the people who are looking forward to Terminator Genesis. But literally, I think that would have been a really, really huge moment in the film that is lost now. Right. And I can only think their approach was that they thought maybe if they reveal it beforehand, it will pull people in. Mm. But I think it's the wrong choice. I'm me. suspect of this film because all the ads end with like, book your tickets now. So I think they're secretly trying to get you to book your tickets before you realize the film isn't very good after you read reviews. Yeah. Is that just me being cynical? So you're too locked in because like most cinemas will never refund the price of your yep. ticket. So it's just like, book your tickets now before it's too late. Yeah. And what they mean by too late is before it's too late <laughs> and you may find out this film isn't very good. One for the ladies now. Magic Mike XXL on July 3rd. Directed by Gregory Jacobs. Starring Channing Tatum of the first one. Joe May... Manganiello? Manganiello. Manganiello. And Kevin Nash. Exactly. Big sexy of WWE. No Matthew McConaughey this time. Yeah, he's too big for that now. Is he? Well, yeah, he was a lot. He was kind of too big for it at the time as Shortly well. Shortly after he got, he won the Oscar. And yeah. It just kind of, his career shot off literally yeah. probably months after he filmed this film. Yeah, so uh, Matthew McConaughey is too good for this now. It's still, it's, it's the film is that stuff to be kind of placed on the considerably broad shoulders of Channing Tatum. But it would have been quite funny to see on the promotion for the film if Matthew McConaughey wasn't it. Academy Award winning yep. Matthew McConaughey as a stripper. It's another, it's exactly what it says in the chain kind of film, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, men's stripping. <laughs> I haven't seen the first one. No, I think it's not for us really, is it? Yeah. Well, yeah I'd be up for it, you know. I'd watch, I'd watch literally anything. I can appreciate an attractive man. Yeah. Channing Tatum's a good looking man. Uh, This one, I didn't actually know anything about it, guy. You'd be more into the gaming... Yes. More than I would. So do you want to take this one? Hitman Agent 47, which is out August 28th in the UK. It doesn't have an official Irish date yet. Directed by Alexander Bach, who has literally no other credits on IMDb. This is his only credit, not even like a producer or, you know, uh, assistant or anything. This is the first thing apparently he's ever done in film. Do you think he was just hanging around the studio one day and he's just like, discussed... want to direct a Hitman film? It's like, yeah, cool. I, I assume he's done something. I assume he didn't come out of nowhere. Maybe he's from, he has kind of a European name. Maybe he's kind of directed films in Europe before yep. nobody heard of. It stars Rupert Friend as Agent 47 and Zachary Quinto. You see, my problem with the first the first Hitman film was Timothy Oliphant. Is that how you say his second name? Oliphant. Oliphant. You see, I watch all of Justified. I really like him. He's a really it's good like actor. Elephant with an O. Oliphant. He's a really good actor, but he just, it, he didn't really work as Agent 47. Strangely enough, this is actually a really weird thing. The person who voices the the character in the game actually really looks like the character who, yeah. you, who you think he would be. He looks just like him. So they should have picked that guy. I don't they know should have picked is. that guy. Yeah. Because it's not as if you got to be a very good actor to play that role because he's a cold, emotionless robot. Yeah. And that was the problem with the first film. He wasn't a cold, emotionless robot. He had emotions and felt things. And he's trying to be charismatic and that's not the character. Yeah, it's not. As far as I know. I've seen the games a little bit. I'm not a huge gamer myself, but I've seen it. But mm. it kind of went... The, the, film, the original film went a bit against... What people liked about the franchise. Yeah, which the trailer looked promising. The trailer was just like explosions and stuff. 
which is what you want out of this film just cool assassinations like this this isn't going to be 12 years of slave you know right. this isn't going to be mentally taxing on you and force you to think about things yeah you want you want your, your non-stop action you want cool cool fights and you want explosions let's just and say fun assassinations that's what i want out of a hitman film you want to like feel like you're sitting there in cinema i would almost like have your joystick in your hands yeah playing, playing away like yeah kill him another film now showing directed by paul feig is spy uh director of bridesmaids the heat and the upcoming ghostbusters reboot which i don't want to talk about you're bitter over the all-female cast I... moments after saying you had no problem with michael b jordan being cast as a, a a black human torch i'm just saying like it seems like it's women for the sake of it like women power and like women in hollywood and stuff like that i have no problem if that's what the script calls for but it just seems like it's all women because just because yeah like i wouldn't mind if it was a mixed team i think that would be more appropriate like you know there was talk of an, uh, like having a shared universe oh god everything has a shared universe yeah and then, and then having the chris, crossover film i think it was chris pratt and well chris pratt's been like it's literally any franchise now it's like new indiana jones films chris pratt new uh, magnificent seven films chris pratt it's so like he, literally shove chris pratt into any film and it'll make it better he's and that that's kind of true yeah so he's linked to a lot of this stuff and like people like jonah hill were linked to this false product apparently it's never going to happen it wasn't actually true but I, I think a mixed crew like that could have made for a better film. But like that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Spy right now. I have been turned off by Melissa McCarthy's recent efforts, like Tammy and Identity Thief. Yeah, she kind of turned on the McCarthy way too high. Yeah, she she kind of has a shtick. Yeah, when she turns it up too high, it does get very overbearing and very yeah. kind of obnoxious. They kind of let her off the leash, and she's a really good improviser. But yeah. when she goes too far, it's just like. And I was watching her. Uh, she was doing interviews recently as well. I saw Graham Norton on the Daily Show. I was like, yeah, she's a really funny, really funny woman. And it's like when she turns up the character, the kind of film stick too high, it just it yeah. becomes overbearing. She's a really funny lady. She's like one of the most talented comedians in Hollywood. But as you say, when she kind of goes too far i don't enjoy her work yeah it has a good good cast though it has jason statham rose burr and allison janney jude law especially yeah. i like the idea of jason statham kind of spoofing his own kind of film persona yeah it's like his first comedic turn really he hasn't done comedy yeah. before because and... he, he's another guy that has very much he, he's has a very established film persona as that kind of kick-ass action yeah. guy so him kind of spoofing that by kind of being the inept kind of spy it's a comedy spy of, yeah just something fun about seeing him going out of his comfort zone yeah so like it's been well reviewed so far you know like overwhelmingly positive reviews and a lot of people say that melissa mccarthy and uh writer director policy bring out the best in one, in one another i would definitely agree with that i think that when uh melissa mccarthy is reined in a bit and she kind of maybe she has room to, to 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 improvise but she also kind of sticks to the director's vision then i think that's when she's at her best our final film which again only has a uk release date for now uh, of august 21st is paper towns directed by jake Trier, based on the john green uh, novel of the same name john green was the author of the fault in our stars it stars matt wolf and cara delavinia who apparently is an actress now what was she before a model well fair play to her <laughs> yeah uh again one of the ladies um it's it seems to be very much going around down the same lines of of the fault in the stars kind of team star cross lovers deal yeah so it's not trying too hard to do anything other than be similar to yeah. the, the, the idea stars. is these two people fall in love and then she goes missing right. and then there's a series of clues that he has to follow to find her so there's a bit of a mystery thriller thrown in there as well maybe just to kind of spice things up that sounds slightly intriguing 
Yeah, but at the very least, it's, it's adding a different element. Yeah. But it is very much trying to capitalize on that same success Baltimore started that last year. I think that you know people are going to go see it. It's going to be. I think it's going to be one of the one of the sleeper hits of the summer as well. I think. Yeah. Like it's it's got the it's got the attachment to the Baltimore stars. Yeah. All it it has it has a very kind of it knows the audience it's targeting. Exactly. And it'll probably target them very well. Yeah, and Cara Delevingne is is very hot property in Hollywood these days. She's going to be mm-hmm. in the Suicide Squad film as well, which has every other actor in Hollywood. Yeah, uh, so she has a huge following on social media. It's like people love her kind of quirky, yeah, hipster vibe. So I think that the the connection to Faulkner stars and Cara Delevingne is definitely going to carry this film to to higher heights than one might anticipate. Yeah, hopefully, like the mystery thriller element kind of thrown in could could at least make it a decent film. I'll probably watch it and, and claim that I never watched it. I actually, I watched a minute of The Fault in Our Stars the other day, and it's just like, what are you thinking? And it's like, Oblivion. I changed it It's just like, no. Just no. So we'll leave that there. That was our preview of the summer blockbuster schedule. Up next, you're going to hear my interview with Irene Callagher from earlier this week. I can promise you that that's not to be missed, so stick around. You're listening to the Weekend Show Podcast with Ken Kidney. This week, I had the pleasure of speaking with talented actress Irene Gallagher about her critically acclaimed one-woman show, which is heading to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival later this summer. I won't say too much more, but I can tell you that it was a fascinating conversation from one of Ireland's most exciting young actresses, when I first revealed to other people that I was William Shakespeare reincarnated, they laughed. So Irene, for those listening at home who haven't heard of the show, could you tell us a little bit about Mrs. Shakespeare? Yeah, so uh, Mrs. Shakespeare is a one-woman show written by Ian Wilde. Um, it actually started as a play in 1983, so it's older than me actually. He um, wrote it when he was finished college and he set it in verse, it was almost in kind of iambic pentameter, but he locked it away in a drawer then and thought, no, this will never be put on and forgot about it for a long time. And then back in the early 90s, um, Fish were looking for a short story for their collection. And Ian went back to the script and changed it into a short story and it was very successful and published in, in a collection. And he thought that it would remain there for a while, but then about five or six years ago, um, he turned it into a show called Ophelia. And at the time it was a one man show. And it was all kind of the same premise of what it's about now. It's um, Shakespeare's reincarnated in today's world. And in this version, obviously she, she's female, she's Mrs. Shakespeare. And she thinks she's made a complete mess of writing Hamlet 400 years earlier. So she starts to try and rewrite it from the point of view of Ophelia. But then all the characters are really angry because they're being rewritten and they want to keep their central role. So, um, oh, and she's also in a mental institution because no one believes she is Shakespeare reincarnated. And she has a therapist called Henry who she's convinced might be another very famous playwright reincarnated. So there's kind of a rivalry there. 
and all the characters tried to fight to keep their part so within the play um, I also become Polonius and Hamlet and uh, Claudius and all fighting with with Mrs Shakespeare to, to keep their storyline and I'm trying to give Ophelia you know kind of a more substantial role and um, yeah that's kind of the, the premise it's j just under an hour it's 55 minutes long and it's a, a comedy with dramatic moments but definitely mostly comedy. So how did you uh, come to be involved? Was there a motivation there in getting involved in a one-person production? Yeah, I had wanted to do another one-woman show for a while. When I was in college in um, UCC, I did drama theatre studies and I stayed on then to do a master's in performance practice and we had to do a one-woman show for that. Well, we had to do a show and there was only four of us doing that part of the course, so we each did uh, a one-woman show. And I remember the very first time being terrified being out there on my own and doing, you know, but found it really thrilling then because you're on the whole time and you never come off and this kind of, um, it's actually harder sometimes when you have to go off and come back on again, but I really enjoyed it and I hadn't done one since, that was back in 2008. So I was kind of on the lookout, but there's not a whole lot of one woman shows that are written. It's very hard to, to find to find them. It was Frank Arama wrote the one in college and I didn't really come across a, another one that would be age appropriate in that. But I had worked with Ian, Ian's wife, Belinda Wilde, who is also a very well-known director and she's a, a drama teacher and lecturer down in Kinsale College. And I worked with Belinda for the last two years and Ian basically just sent me a few scripts and said, do any of these kind of take your fancy because you know, want to, to work with me. Um, and I read Mrs Shakespeare and I just roared out laughing at some bits and the minute I read it, I just felt, I knew exactly what I wanted to do with it because there are some parts that you might read and it might take a while for them to kind of and that's happened a lot with me but this one really just jumped out of the pages at me and I really was was keen to to get my teeth into it um, and what I loved about it as well is behind all the comedy there's actually kind of quite a, a sad story and I yeah so that's that's kind of how it, how it came about we were rehearsing down in Kinsale and there's a beautiful amphitheatre there where Ian and Belinda teach and um, we did about three full weeks rehearsals and then the very first show was June last year because it was around this time last year we had the first show. We actually did a rehearsed reading in April of last year and we had no idea how the show was going to be received. You know, even Ian was wondering how will the play go down as a woman as Mrs Shakespeare and everything but it was received so so well that we decided to take it further and definitely bring, bring it to full production so it's been going for over a year now she's nearly celebrating her first birthday <laughs> okay can you describe the differences between performing in a one-person show versus an ensemble production are, are the preparations different um i think performing in a one-person show um 
it's a lot easier to manage, especially with, with the tour, um, because when you're touring with just one person, and really all you need is me and someone on, on sound and lighting and transport, but that it's always the same person. So it's either Ian or Dennis who, who does the sound and lighting and that. And it's just very manageable then because you can just work it around two people's dates. And it was easier in the early stages as well because we didn't have funding at the start and we were you know, doing completely from scratch. And I was happy to, to work for free and Ian was just at the very start till we got the play going. And that's a lot to ask um, another professional actor. You know, I, I wouldn't ask it of another actor really. So um, it was definitely handier in, in that sense and um, definitely for the tour, it's a lot easier. The only thing is it's, <laughs> it's kind of lonely when, but it's only lonely in the five minutes before I'm about to go on because that's kind of when even when there's one other person with you, it's two-hander, you kind of feel nervous together, but when you're on your own, it's just that five minutes before. But really, it's not like a one-person show because, you know, I think Mrs. Shakespeare is definitely a team. There's a lot of people worked, working on it, um, as well as myself and Ian, Belinda, um, as assistant um, director, sometimes a producer and Dennis who's kind of the tour manager and sound and lighting and we had a great set built by David Donegan and beautiful costume by Ali Wheeler and the trailer really helped the sell of the show a lot by Peter Stack so there's kind of a big team behind it so um, in that sense I suppose I never really see it as a one woman show but it's a different experience as well performing when it's just me because when there's more than one person, every time somebody comes on the stage, the play lifts a bit. It's just a natural thing to happen. And even as an audience member, our attention spans aren't that great. And when somebody else comes in, you know, kind of. But when it's a one person show, you just ha you have to keep the audience engaged. And it's very easy to tell when you have them or moments where oh, you can, you're losing them a bit. You have to get the energy going again or, you know, really, get the truth more into it so um yeah it's kind of easier to judge in that way but it's exciting and it's i do i love love performing it um i've been doing so long now i feel like it's hard to tell the difference between when i'm becoming mrs shakespeare and and myself she's very much immersed in my everyday life in terms of preparing, is it different from obviously you don't have a cast to kind of play off or like run lines with or to you know create with? So is it different preparing for a show like this? Um, it is because well, I could always when I, when Ian was um was we had that initial three weeks where we rehearsed it full time and every now and then we go back to it to keep it fresh and that. So I kind of would bounce things off off him um. But, yeah, the preparations, well, it's kind of the same, essentially, where you'd just, you know, need that, those initial long day rehearsals. But um, it's more, where it's, where it's different, really, is in the play itself and, and the tour. Um, 
it's more intense and I think you get more out of it because it's just the directors dealing with with you all the time so yeah so it's more of a learning experience I think so yeah definitely the show itself has been an incredible success with three award nominations already one win the Argus Angel Award for Outstanding Artistic Merit not to mention numerous five stars star reviews how do you react to that kind of success Uh, did you have a feeling that you were involved in something special um it was funny because we our our first review we've been doing it since um june last year and the first review was we brought it to stratford upon even in february to his home shakespeare's home place and everything and I was very nervous taking it there because I was worried that they'd think, oh, an Irish girl coming over, you know, um, disrespecting the great bard. But they actually really embraced it and loved it and it couldn't have gone better. And the very first review Mrs. Shakespeare got was from Jill Sutherland at the Stratford Herald. And she gave it the best. I think it, I will never get a better review than that one. And and Ian was, del- you know, she said such great things about the play and Ian and everything. And um, that was really the first time we felt, yeah, we were definitely onto something special because the audience reactions were great everywhere we went. But, you know, it's just that kind of seeing it in writing and, and the fact that she reviews the RSE on a weekly basis is crazy. I was lucky that I didn't know which night she was going to be in the audience that I would have been extra nervous but um so that was the first one so after that I think we just felt a bit, bit more confident with it and um then Brighton was the next one in the UK and uh, you know I sent out uh, the press release to all the reviewers I wanted to get as many reviews as possible after Brighton we just did a weekend in Brighton we did a Friday Saturday Sunday and we were in a fabulous venue um the Warren which was gorgeous uh kind of the main space of the festival and all the reviewers i invited went which was great because really going into the edinburgh fringe you need strong reviews and um so that that was kind of the main purpose of that but i just couldn't be happier with like going in now to edinburgh with with two five-star reviews is pretty nice and we're going to the bristol shakespeare festival in july so we're kind of going in after um after success really at the festivals which is really really great so it just helps you know makes feel more confident about the show and then relax even more into it and the thing about the show is that we're constantly updating it and um ian is uh, there's a lot of rewrites um every now and then he looks at something says no let's try something else and and that's what keeps it kind of alive and and fresh in that so it hasn't been reviewed by an Irish reviewer yet which is interesting it'll be uh, yeah exciting when when that happens but it's going down really well in the UK anyway so I couldn't be happier and how did it feel to win the award it was all it was just the icing on the cake then it was fabulous um and it's just all those things would hopefully help help the sell of the show and it just it, it's great because you feel like all the hard work especially back then when we were fun, you know we were just constantly doing fundraiser before you know 
I remember thinking back then, look, it will be worth it. It'll be worth putting in the and you know, thankfully it was it was true. It it did come back to us. So we're very lucky. <laughs> so what does the future hold for Mrs. Shakespeare and Irene Keller? I know you just mentioned you're going to Bristol and, and Edinburgh. Yeah. Um well we have a few Irish dates coming up that I think I, I mentioned to you and um we so we have a few different Irish ones in June and then at the start of July we're off to the Bristol Shakespeare Festival and <laughs> that will be interesting because all the other shows in the Bristol Shakespeare Festivals festival are actually proper full Shakespeare shows and then this is <laughs> slap bang in the middle so that'll be that'll be interesting. Um and then Edinburgh and we're doing the full month, the, the full run of the festival. So our hope for that is um, that producers from other theatres might come or other festivals and maybe maybe take the show. Like that's really what, what we're hoping for. Hopefully maybe a few more reviews if they're half as good as Brighton will be very happy. Um, so I think just to keep, keep going with her, um, and that's the beauty of a one person show actually is that it, you know if, if other work comes up for Ian or I that we can do Mrs Shakespeare around our own schedules like I do I have another show that I'm involved in in September for it's just a week run but um, it's just it's great that Mrs Shakespeare can work whenever best best suits the two of us so um yeah, I think she'll be hopefully around next year and the year after she's actually getting married next year. They <laughs> <laughs> so can't separate Mrs. Shakespeare from so there'll be a Mr. Shakespeare. So, so then... is there gonna be the costume or is that an no-go? Oh, for the <laughs> wedding though. Well yeah, maybe I might come out in the afters of the costume. But um so yeah, maybe around March to May next year might be quiet for Mrs. Shakespeare. <laughs> she might be away, but yeah, I think ne- next summer, actually, um, we're going back to Stratford-upon-Avon. They invited us back because um, there's a lot of Shakespeare festivals on there during the summer and that. So, yeah, hopefully she'll have a longer run. <laughs> and bring it back to Cork, definitely, because we did two nights in Cork in April and we sold out the granary. We were thrilled and it was a beautiful, perfect space to perform. So definitely intend on, on bringing it back to Cork maybe later on in the year. Mrs Shakespeare is continuing to tour the UK and Ireland throughout the summer. Dates include Friars Gate Theatre Kilmallock, June 12th, Brewery Lane Theatre Carrick-on-Shore, June 13th, Carnegie Arts Centre Kenmare, June 20th, Bristol Shakespeare Festival at the Alma Theatre, June 30th to July 2nd, and the Edinburgh French Festival, August 8th to August 30th. You can follow the play on Facebook at facebook.com slash Mrs. Shakespeare play and on Twitter at Shakespeare underscore Mrs. Check out the trailer on our own Facebook at facebook.com slash TWSKK. If you are next or near any of the venues on the tour this summer, make it your business to see this show. You won't be sorry. I know I'm going to go see it ASAP. We'll be right back to say goodbye. You're listening to the Weekend Show Podcast with Ken Kidney. Download every Sunday at soundcloud.com slash the weekend show. If you're out there listening, thank you for taking the time to click play on the podcast. 
You can find a new episode every Sunday at soundcloud.com forward slash The Weekend Show. You can now follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash TWSKK and on Twitter at TWSKK. That's TWSKK, as in The Weekend Show with an outlet. Of course, it's not TWSKKWEA. No, that's too long. It's too wordy. And I'm stuck. So. Our theme music is by Mr. Tron. Until next time, say goodbye, Garrett. Bye bye. Take it easy, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>